joy, a phenomenon that transcends our circumstances, a mystery that confounds the enemies. When the world sees despair and doubt, our joy in Christ sings louder and louder, rising above the temporary and embracing the eternal. From prison cell to palace, from dungeon to deliverance, everything pales in comparison to knowing Christ and seeing His beauty. To be content in all things, to have peace in the midst of anxiety, to rejoice in suffering, the impossible made possible through Christ. Oh, to be found in Him, to be called a citizen of heaven, to be made righteous. How could we do anything but rejoice? Amen. Good morning, Trinity Church. How are we doing? It is wonderful to see you all. Uh, off to a great start this morning, worshiping, and uh, it continues. My name is Hilke Hilkema, one of the pastors here, and Todd is away. He is cruising the Mediterranean. It's a rough life, I'm telling you. Um, I'm not jealous at all. Check this out, though. So we were at a conference earlier this year, and the guy won a cruise to the Mediterranean. Like, how crazy is that? Yeah, like I said, I'm not jealous at all. Um, Speaking of cruises, I've never been on one, but I have been on boats. Um, Something you may not know about me is I love to go fishing. Actually, let me rephrase it. I really don't like to go fishing. What I like to do is go deep sea fishing. That's a different kind of fishing. Like being on the side of a lake, like doing this. I don't know, it's boring. Um, Deep sea fishing, game changer. Love it. Anyone gone? It is awesome. You should definitely go. And... um, a couple of years ago, uh, my best friend, he invited me to come and, and go fishing, and we've gone multiple times since. Uh, let's see, two years ago, we went to Key West and did some fishing there. Now, that was rough, too. Uh, we've gone you know, locally out of Dana Point, Ventura, doing like overnight trips to the Channel Islands. Super fun. We love it. And um, when you get on a boat, you know, it, it's, these are not huge boats, but any any means. And when you first get in the boats and you start walking around, you got to find what? You got to find your sea legs, right? You guys know about sea legs? Because that, that boat is, you know, moving and, you know, Todd's ship is probably not moving a whole lot. Um, but, but my boat was definitely moving and, and you kind of try and walk. And then, but after a little while, you become pretty comfortable. You'd be like, check me out. You know, it's like all good. And then, um, and then when you, when you get off the boat, what happens? You step on the firm ground, and you're like, wait, am I on the boat or am I on the land? Because the ground still seems to be like shifting, shifting around you. And um, yeah, just when you're just going across those waves, you just have to find your sea legs. Uh, a couple, oh, actually last year we, we took our wives along and they spend most of the time puking. And uh, meanwhile, we had a great time. Um, my wife did a little bit uh, better, but my friend's wife was just miserable. And uh, I, was, I was sleeping in, in the bunk place, which is usually filled with a bunch of stinky men. And, um, but I was just laying there, and I had to go to the bathroom. And I'm just very comfortable. I'm like, I don't want to go. Because you have to go up the stairs and around the front of the boat in this, like, tiny gross ugh, bathroom. And, but I was thinking, like, I mean, I, I've, I have found my sea legs. I don't know if I trust them, because what if I walk 
to the front of the boat and like a wave hits and I go overboard. Like no one would ever know. It's like the middle of the night. It's two o'clock in the morning and you know, four o'clock in the morning. Like I'd be like, oh no, help. And then they'd just be gone. I was, I was so scared. And like, and I didn't go. Um, it was miserable. It was a horrible night. Um, I'm not sure why I told you that. No, the sea legs. You find your sea legs, but, but you're still kind of moving. And, and, and this morning, we're going to talk about finding your sea legs. Because Paul, Paul is, is going to teach us. He's going to instruct us how to find your sea legs when everything around you seems to be moving. The ground underneath your feet seems to be shifting. There's a lot of movement going on. And you're like, how do I follow Jesus when everything around me is uncertain, unstable? How do I follow Jesus in the midst of my trials and temptation, in the midst of of opposition and oppression, in the midst of anxiety, in the midst of depression, in the midst of uncertainty, all kinds of questions you have about life, in the midst of disappointments and defeat. How do, I, how do I faithfully follow Jesus? How do I remain unshakable in my faith? And this next one might strike you by surprise. How do I, how do I have an unshakable faith in the midst of success, in the midst of blessing, in the midst of abundance? One of the greatest challenges in faithfully following Jesus and we find this in the scriptures all over the place. It's actually when things are really going well. Because what happens when things are going well? We take our eyes off of Jesus. We get a promotion. And we're like, look at me. Look at all I've done. This is great. We're set. I think Paul would get in your face and say, you fool. Do you not realize that is the grace of God in your life? So even in the midst of success and abundance and and blessing, we can still struggle to have this unshakable faith. Paul is in prison as he's writing to us. He is in a nasty dungeon. It's dark. This is a place of pain. But he writes some incredible words to us this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to chapter 4 of Philippians. We're actually going to talk about uh, the second half of chapter 3. But before we get to chapter 3, we got to start with chapter 4, and I'll show you why. So chapter 4, verse 1, go ahead and open your Bible, turn there, and uh, we'll, we'll dive right in. Chapter 4, verse 1 says this, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. That's all we need out of chapter 4. First of all, I want you to notice how much Paul loves these people. This is some of the most affectionate language we encounter when Paul writes to all the churches that he writes to. And he writes to a lot. He calls them, my dear brothers and sisters, You whom I love, I long for you. You are my joy. You are my crown. And he calls them his dear friends. What he's about to to, to lay out or what he's just laid out uh, in chapter 3, he does so out of a deep love. It starts off with therefore. 
which is just a very simple connecting word, connecting his thought flow. He kind of summarizes in verse uh, 1 what what he's kind of laid out in in the second half of chapter 3. But it's really important what he lays out. He says his command is this, stand firm. Stand firm in this way. And it's this way that's looking back at the second half of three, and, um, which is captured really in our now what statement. It's on your notes as well. Unshakable faith is marked by a wholehearted pursuit to know Jesus and follow the faithful examples of those around you. That really encapsulates what Paul lays out uh, in chapter three. So let's dive into chapter three now. Um, start at verse 10, if you would. It's actually verse 10 and 11 we covered last week, but they're really important for a passage this morning and starting in verse 12. But um, yeah, let's do 10. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Here is Paul's goal. He says, I want to gain Christ. I want to be found in him. I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead, he says, lives in me. And I want to know that power. I want to live in that power. I want to experience Christ in me to the fullest. That is his longing. That is his desire. That is his aim. And then out of that, he says in verse 12, not that I have already obtained all this. This referring back to this desire, this vision of to, to, know, to know Christ, to gain Christ, to count everything else as lost, to be found in him. Not that I have already attain, obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining to what is ahead, I press on. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Paul's going to lay out two primary ways where we can uh, have an unshakable faith, how we can stand firm. And the first one's in your notes. Unshakable faith is marked by a wholehearted pursuit to know Jesus. A wholehearted pursuit to know Jesus. As you read these verses, did you sense... Paul's passion? Did you not hear just this intense longing? Just He's just kind of letting his heart out. It was, Jesus, I want to know you. Not just intellectually. I want to know your power in my life. I want to experience you. And Did you, did something in you say, I, I want that kind of longing? Because that, that, that's where I find myself. I'm like, ooh, I want that longing. I, I resonate with that language, that passion, that desire. And uh, my, my prayer this morning for us, for myself, for you, is that this would 
be a vision for you to chase? In what a relationship with Jesus could look like. That this would be a vision of a thriving, healthy, vibrant, active, living, dynamic relationship of following Jesus every day, faithfully, unshakable, unmovable, standing firm. What does that look like, though? What does it take? Paul begins in a very, very good place. It begins with humility. It's in your notes. Humility. We need a holy holy discontent is foundational to a wholehearted pursuit to know Jesus. Humility. I see it in verse 12, I see it in verse 13, and it's quite obvious. He says in verse 12, not that I have already already obtained all this. In verse 13, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Paul's saying, I've I've got a vision of what I'm chasing after, but I'm not there yet. I haven't arrived. I'm still under construction. God's still working his work of transformation in me, in my heart. God is not done, but he's refusing to coast. He writes, but I press on. And he says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. The language of taking hold, it's, it's, it's this language, literally, I have been seized by Christ, captured by Christ. And I want to seize, I want to capture Jesus with all my being. When, when, when Paul was living without Jesus, Jesus grabbed a hold of him. He yanked him out of his life of sin and disobedience, just grabbed him. And Paul says, how, how could I not just wholeheartedly pursue after Jesus, Jesus after what he's done for me? Have you been captured by Christ? Has your heart been captured by Christ? If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, it's absolutely true that theologically you have been captured by Christ. He has grabbed a hold of you and he has seized you and he has, he's got you. But what about practically? Has my heart been captured by Christ? My affections, my desires, my hopes, my dreams... Because I don't know about you, my heart drifts so easily. My heart is weak. My heart gets drawn to shiny things. And it's lured away from the goal to know Christ. My heart often gets really busy gets distracted. I have not arrived. You might find yourself in a similar place, like, no, I, I, man, I'd love that to be true of me, but it isn't. And Paul says, great. We're going to start from a place of humility, a holy discontent as the foundation to a wholehearted pursuit to know Jesus. The next thing he lays out is devotion. 
Humility and devotion, a wholehearted pursuit to know Jesus demands a singular focus on pursuing Jesus. He writes in the text, but one thing. It's actually two words. It says one thing. Paul is all about just one thing, a singular focus. His highest priority, his only priority is to know Jesus and to know the power of his resurrection. That's that's it. One thing. Anything less than one thing, when it's a couple things, it's Jesus plus. What is that called? The Bible calls that idolatry. It does. If we're not able to say with Paul, but one thing, Paul says, we have to evaluate our heart. I want to read you a quote about idolatry from uh, Tim Keller. He says, God is saying that the human heart takes good things like a successful career, love, material possessions, even family, and turns them into ultimate things. Our hearts deify them as the center of our lives because we think they can give us significance and security, safety and fulfillment if we attain them. He goes on, in each case, a good thing among many was turned into a supreme thing so that its demands overrode all competing values. But counterfeit gods always disappoint and often destructively so. That's some really powerful language. And we're not talking about little statues to bow down to. We are talking about good things. We're talking about things that God has blessed us with, good things that he has given to us as a good father. He has blessed you with a career. He's blessed you with a family. So many blessings that I, in my heart, have turned into ultimate things to find security in them, significance in them. Paul goes on to say in verse 13, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal. I love this image. It's the image of a runner. In your notes, we must properly understand our past and our future so that we we can wholeheartedly live for Jesus in the present These two clauses, forgetting what is behind and straining toward the goal, really is the how of living in the present. When we are properly aligned to our future, when we can properly um, relate to our past and have an understanding of our future, we can faithfully follow Jesus in the present. Paul had a past. If you're not familiar with Paul, before he met Jesus, he killed Jesus' followers. He tortured, imprisoned, abused, and killed many followers of Jesus until Jesus seized him, grabbed him. Paul had a past that was pretty dark. 
by this time, Paul had actually been following Jesus somewhere between 30 and 40 years of faithfulness. And he says, yeah, I've got a pretty dark past, <laughs> and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to let that trip me up in my pursuit of Jesus. And he's all like, but I've also been following Jesus for like 30, 40 years, but I'm not even going to stake my, my hope and my salvation on that either. I'm going to follow Jesus today so I can press on toward the goal. This might be all you need to hear this morning. To know that you have been fully forgiven. To know that Christ's forgiveness is sufficient for you. Paul wrote some incredible words of truth. He wrote in the book of Romans, he wrote that book as well. Again, this, this Jesus-killing, awful awful person. He writes this. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He says, there is no condemnation for a Jesus follower, killing abuser if he is in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. In the book of John, written by another one of Jesus' followers, one of his disciples, we see, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Free from the past. Maybe you've said this or heard someone say this little phrase. I know God forgives me, but I just can't forgive myself. I know God forgives me, but I just can't forgive myself. I want, to, I want to talk to you for just a few minutes. And I want to share some truth with you. And I want to do so graciously, tenderly, because I know that this area of your life that you're struggling with probably represents pain, disappointment with yourself or others. It might be just, just, just past, uh, just sin that, that you're still carrying around. And I believe God has truth that he wants to speak into that part of your life. The reason why you feel like you can't forgive yourself might be many, but ultimately it boils down to this. You don't need to forgive yourself. You don't need to forgive yourself. And on top of that, you can't forgive yourself. You truly can't. There's only one who forgives and can make right. There's only one who can justify. There's only one who can make righteous or right before God. And it's not you. It's Jesus, and it's Jesus only. His forgiveness is fully, fully sufficient for your past, present, and future. Sometimes Jody uh, has this little phrase that she picked up somewhere, and it goes like this. When the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. <laughs> Amen? 
When the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. And maybe to add to that, remind yourself of your future. Okay? Remind yourself of your future. Your self-judgment does not, cannot carry more weight than God's. If you are a follower of Jesus, God the Father doesn't see you and your sin. God the Father, when he sees you this morning, even in this moment, he doesn't see you and your sin. He sees Jesus in you in complete righteousness, in complete rightness before God, before him. You are completely righteous before a holy God if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have trusted his son Jesus in his work of salvation. That is the truth. And your, and your opinion cannot overrule that. You can't forgive yourself. You don't have to forgive yourself. That's Jesus. Jesus. Paul goes on to write, straining toward his ahead, I press on toward the goal. This word straining is maximum effort. This is not coasting. I mean, has anyone went on a jog this morning? Anyone? No joggers? Oh, a couple, maybe. Um, that's not what this is. Just a leisurely jog. I don't jog. Um, this is a sprint. Maximum exertion. Just full-on exertion. No coasting. Does this describe me and my pursuit to know Jesus? It does not. Sometimes I take it way too easy. I'm just kind of jogging. That's not what Paul is calling me to. A sprint. Full on. A full on pursuit to know Jesus. Who's calling you heavenward. As it says in the text. Again, this guy has been following Jesus between 30 to 40 years. Okay? He's probably doing okay. He's, 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 he knows Jesus really well. He said, it's not enough. It's not enough. I want to know Jesus more. I want to know the power of his resurrection more. I want to know Jesus. I want to live Jesus. I want to experience him fully. I've got more. I've got more to pursue. Does not let up. Then he writes in verse 15. All of us then, who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, and he's implying wrongly, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. In your notes, um, the third element, discipline. A wholehearted pursuit to know Jesus demands a moment-by-moment commitment to following Jesus. A moment-to-moment commitment. Paul's human. Paul knows it's so easy to cut corners. It's easy to take it easy. (laughs) 
it's not that big of a deal. It doesn't hurt anyone. It's just every once in a while. Paul lays out here, folks, a pedal-to-the-metal approach. 100% effort. He is all in. He is all in. And then in verse 16, he says, don't let off the gas. Don't lose any ground of your pursuit. And Jesus, don't lose what you've already attained. You're already running that race. Don't, don't go back. Keep after it with humility, devotion, and discipline. Well, his readers might be wondering, well, but Paul, where do I start? This is overwhelming, bro. I, I don't, this, is, this is intense. I'm not sure if I can do it. And he turns in our next paragraph in verse 17, if you want to read along. He says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. In your notes, unshakable faith is marked by following the faithful examples of others around you. This pursuit of Jesus isn't meant to be done in isolation but Paul says, follow my example, follow the example of other faithful followers. And he gives out two reasons. Number one, quite frankly, there's a lot of bad examples. So find some good ones, he's saying. There's, there's some really awful examples. And they, and they bring shame to the cross of Christ. Their God is their stomach. They just follow their own desires, their, their, their desires, their, their earthly desires. They've got their eyes fixed on, you fill in the blank, success, career, relationships. And they've lost focus of their goal. I love the mentors in my life. They are incredible. I've got several guys that I, that I will meet with or call up, and I'm like, I, I need your help. What do I do here? I need wisdom. I need some coaching. I need some encouragement because I'm just not feeling it right now. I've got a couple guys who've just invested in my life. You need the same. I also have wonderful, um, even just podcasts or books of faithful followers of Jesus that can encourage you in your walk, in your journey of following Jesus. There's so many wonderful, great Christian authors that will, that will push you, that will help you press on towards a goal to which Christ has called you heavenward. Reason number two Follow my example. Follow the example of faithful followers because our citizenship is in heaven. We live as citizens of heaven. We are strangers on this planet, he says. Now, many of you know I'm a foreigner. Um, and if you don't know me, I was born in Holland. 
the Netherlands, as they say. And I moved here when I was 13. It was eighth grade. It was a lovely time. <laughs> Nothing like going to middle school in a foreign country. You should try it. It's really great. Um, so we, we moved here when I was 13, eighth grade, and we, we, we had a visa, two years, two years to be here. And so we, so we went, moved the whole family, and um, it, was, it was cool, it was great. But we were here on a visa. We were not citizens of this country. My citizenship was elsewhere. After those two years, we got some green cards, and so that was great. I was 15, if you do the math, and that established our permanent residence. We are still not citizens. This was still not, you know, my country, if you will. So about 11 years ago, I believe that is correct, and you wouldn't know any different anyway, so we're just going to go over the 11 years, but I do think it's correct. 11 years ago... Me and my closest friends, 5,000 of them, um, were at the LA Convention Center. And there we got, you know, sworn in, you know, the, and um, we became US citizens. So now I was a citizen of the United States of America. I actually was no longer a citizen of the Netherlands. I, I had to renounce my citizenship. Sounds so intense. Um, and, uh, but I did, I did. And From that moment on, well, it was kind of before that, but this is my country. This is where my allegiance lies. I, I love this country. This is great. I love it. But, but, confession, not when it comes to soccer. <laughs> I will always cheer for the men in orange. We love to wear orange. That's what our soccer, our, our, actually, any, any of our athletes, any sport, we wear a lot of orange. We love orange. I will always cheer for the men in orange. In fact, I don't even like watching you guys play. Um, <laughs> I, I never cheer for the U.S. team. I really don't. I, like, there's like zero desire within my heart to even cheer for the U.S. team. I'm sorry. Um, I even got some booze last service. You guys are so much nicer. Um, and I don't see that changing. I, I think I'll always cheer for, for the, uh, the Dutch team. And I don't think I'll ever really cheer for the U.S. It just, I don't even like it. It's like watching them play. It just does nothing for me. Oh, um, oh that's maybe a little too strong. But... Um, And, and I'm a citizen of the United States, and my allegiance is not there. I'm not a dual citizenship. I could get dual citizenship, but that costs like $800, and I already said I was a Dutchman, so I don't need another little piece of paper for $800. So um, my allegiance is split, and I'm completely okay with it. Um, but it doesn't work that way when it comes to following Jesus. There's no dual citizenship. He doesn't offer it. Our citizenship is up there. That's the goal. That's the prize. That's why Jesus is calling us heavenward, and he's coming from there to, to bring us to him. That is the goal. That is the end. We're just on visas, people. You have a temporary visa. You don't even have a green card. 
It's a visa. I'm going to be careful here. Last year, uh, last service, I said you have a visa that's approximately for 80 years. I had multiple people coming out after the service. It's like, you're telling me I've got one year left? Um, <laughs> so your visa is like, a, like maybe about 100, okay? Um, but after that, the visa expires, and, and you're going to be to the place where your true citizenship lies. And Paul's saying, live in light of that citizenship. Don't get tangled up with the affairs of this world. Forget your, your past. I, I, I seized you. I grabbed you. I made you a new creation. I call you a son of God, a daughter of God. Now let's go on to heaven. That's his goal. That's what our citizenship is at. So then he wraps it up in chapter 4, verse 1. It's where we started. He says, therefore... In light of everything I just said, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. So now what? Unshakable faith is marked by a wholehearted pursuit to know Jesus and follow the faithful examples of others around you. Let me ask you this. How is God's word speaking to you this morning? Is he challenging your devotion a singular devotion, so you can say, but one thing, one thing I do, that is, that is my focus, it's all I do, Jesus is life for me, one thing. Is he graciously inviting you to let go of your past? A 35-ish minute sermon may, may not get you there. So I invite you to seek out spiritual counselor to help you with that. Make an appointment with one of our pastors to help walk through that. I, I want to let go of this so I can chase the goal. Are you being influenced by our culture to live for yourself and your desires? Like these false teachers. And it says their end is destruction. That's really incredibly strong language. Do you have an example that you're chasing after? Do you have a mentor that's coaching you? Or is there maybe even a, a podcast you enjoy? Are there books you should be or can be reading to encourage you in your faith journey? How is God speaking to you? Take the next step. Take the next step. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your love for us. Thank you for speaking to us clearly, uh, lovingly. And Father, I pray that we would seek to know you. Father, I pray that you would give us a larger vision of what it is to know Jesus, to gain Christ to be found in him, to know him and the power of his resurrection living in us, transforming us, giving us life, allowing us to be a Jesus influence to the people around us. Father God, give us a grand, huge vision to know you. Father God, I pray that you would find us faithful in wholehearted devotion singular pursuit 
discipline. But Father, we confess our hearts are weak. We are weak in our devotion, in our commitment. So we pray that your spirit would strengthen our resolve. It would draw our hearts to yours. And Lord, I pray for those of those here that are not yet followers of Jesus. I want to pray for you guys. I want to challenge you. You need this Jesus. And I want to give you an invitation to respond to him very simply, very clearly laid out. We use the ABCs. A, admit that you need Jesus. You cannot do it on your own. You have failed, not yourself, but also him. We call that sin. You believe, you believe that Jesus died for that sin in your place. He was your substitute because he loves you. He died and he rose. And see, to choose to follow him, to choose to follow him, to start this journey, to know him for the rest of your life. It's not an easy journey, but it's the journey that will give you a purpose and a hope like nothing can. I invite you to respond, even this morning, quietly, sincerely in your heart. Father, you are so, so good to us. Even though we fail you so often, we are weak. And I pray that even through your word and through your spirit, we are strengthened this morning to follow you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.